Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Good morning, everybody. Oh, good. You sound lively. Uh, As you mentioned, my name is Jason. I'm not Tommy. Uh, If it's your first time, don't mistake me for him. He's way cooler than I am. Um, Tommy, it's his uh, birthday weekend, so he has selfishly uh, decided to celebrate that with his family, (laughs) not with all of you. So um, he asked me to, uh, to fill in for him today, and I'm very honored to do that. I'm excited to be here with you guys. Uh, so thank you for uh, letting me do that again. Uh, first of all, how many of you guys are familiar with Affordable Christmas? Anybody? Most of you. Okay, cool. Uh, if you're not, real quickly, Affordable Christmas is a, a, a thing that my organization, Current Initiatives, does. We partner with Watermark on this to provide uh, Christmas, an opportunity for Christmas for working class, lower income families that uh, struggle to provide Christmas for their kids. And instead of, uh, instead of us going, hey, you're poor, uh, let's, we, you can't afford stuff for your kids, we'll go get it, bring it to your house and be Santa for you, uh, what we do is collect toys and money and we get uh, all brand new, unused stuff. We set up a shopping event for these families that they can come to and they get to shop, purchase things for their kids. Uh, for example, brand new bicycle for $10 as opposed to $100. We make it affordable for them, and they get to go home and be the hero to their kids rather than some random strangers showing up and being the hero uh, to them. So it empowers their family, brings dignity to that family, uh, to those parents, and uh, that's what it's about. So in uh, December, well, the second weekend in December, we'll be doing that again, and so between now and then, you're going to be hearing about that a lot. So uh, I'll be here pressuring you, guilting you to give money, to bring toys, whatever. But you'll see boxes and uh, flyers around uh, starting pretty soon about that. So we'd love for all of you to be involved, to volunteer, to give on some level, whatever you can do to to help out with that. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Cool? Good. Two of you are excited about it. Awesome. Good. Uh, Real quick before we jump into this, let's uh, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, Father, thank you so much for days like today that we can celebrate you, that we can uh, just gather uh, together as a family and uh, take our focus off of all that we've struggled with throughout the week or the, the stress of things that we have upcoming. Uh, and for a few minutes, at least, we put those aside and look to you uh, for wisdom, for hope, for um, just uh, love and acceptance and purpose. And God, for the next few moments, as we look at this passage, would you open our hearts and minds, all of us together, to what you want to say to us through this passage. You know the pain and hurt and struggle and 
uh, life decisions and everything uh, with everyone in this room that is going on outside of this room. And God, for, uh, for them, for us, I ask that you would bring peace to those that in the next few moments, uh, something in this passage would uh, bring peace and hope in those situations. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, last time I was here, I uh, told you a little bit about, um, I, I kind of briefly mentioned a friend of mine that recently died that was on the board for my, uh, my organization, Current. He's a 44-year-old guy, got diagnosed with cancer in February and died in June. Very aggressive, very fast. Um, first time in my life that I truly, truly looked, uh, took a step back and said something to God along the lines of, I don't really like you right now. In fact, I'm pretty mad at you for allowing that to happen. And I've spent years as a pastor in other ways counseling people in moments like that. And for the first time, I truly understood what it meant to look at God and go, I don't, I don't understand you. And this is why the world doesn't like you because of stuff like this and we don't understand. And uh, for the past few months, I've been struggling through that. And about a month before he died, he knew, he knew it was coming. He didn't really know when, but he knew it was coming soon. He asked me to do his funeral, which I was real excited about. Uh, if, it is funny. You can laugh. That was supposed to be funny because I wasn't... Uh, um, I, it's, it's not that depressing. Um, but I, I, he asked me to do his funeral, and um, he was a very unconventional, non-traditional guy. He, so, for example, when he, he texted me about it. He said, listen, I don't want my funeral to be depressing. I don't want it to be sad. Um, I realize all of you will miss me very much because I'm awesome. Um, but I don't want it to be sad. I want it to be a celebration. And that was fitting of his personality because he was not... Uh, he wasn't a sad, somber guy. He was probably the most positive, hope-filled person in the room. And um, so we did things like played Metallica and um, stuff like that at his funeral. Like, it was very much him. And there was nine, so a 44-year-old guy, there was 900 people at his funeral. And in planning his funeral, because he did not want the conventional, traditional thing, the one thing I said was, to myself was, I'm not, the one thing I'm not going to do, because we always hear this passage, the 23rd Psalm, is at funerals, right? It's like, it's like a staple. It's like 1 Corinthians 13 for weddings. Like, that's, that's what you hear. <clears throat> and I said, I'm not going to read, I'm not going to use that passage because it's not, you know, it's too traditional. It's too much of a traditional thing for, and it's sad. And I, in my mind, it was a sad passage. But then I read it just to read it as I was planning. And all the things that I was going to say about him, boiling down to what I used to call him, was a hope dealer. All of, those, all of the things in this passage, I realized God kind of smacked me in the face with, it's not a sad passage, it's not a somber passage. This passage has more hope in it than many of the things that we read. And this passage is more about hope and positivity than it is about sadness and somber message. Because what this is about is our role with God and what God does for us and through us. But it's a weird passage for us because we don't really understand shepherding. 
He starts right off in the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I, all that I need. You probably heard that if you grew up in church, you've heard that all your life. You've heard the reference of a shepherd and sheep and all of that kind of stuff. And in modern day times, it doesn't really make much sense to us. We have a lot like different pictures in our head about what shepherding is, what it looks like. These are, for example, this is a picture kind of of what, you know, a modern shepherd looks like. You know, we kind of understand that. This is actually a recreation of an original photo of Jesus uh, doing the same, the same thing. I didn't know they had cameras back then. But actually what I love is that someone took whatever that photo of that modern shot of the shepherd and said, nah, it's not good enough. Jesus needs to be in there. So they covered up that shepherd and dropped in an old illustration of Jesus uh, shepherding. But this is kind of the idea that we have of shepherding a lot of times. Like that's our point of reference. A lot of flowy robes, a lot of long staffs, uh, a lot of dumb looking sheep walking around. Like that's kind, of the, that's kind of the idea that we have in our head because we don't, we don't really do that in modern culture. But shepherding is very fascinating to me. Uh, it's a really interesting profession. It's one of the oldest professions in humanity. And a shepherd's job was pretty simple. It usually was uh, the youngest kid in the family or an elderly man in the family who couldn't do much labor. And so farming uh, being such a big culture in ancient times, shepherding was one of the most uh, uh, economic things for them to do. But the shepherd, essentially what they had to do was take care of the sheep. They protected them, they fed them, they led them across their path to, to go to where they would be sheared for their wool to be used. And they protected them along the way. They fed them. They led them to water, all of those things. David, when he's writing Psalm, the 23rd Psalm, at the time, he was always the youngest of his family, but this is way before he was King David of Israel. At this point, he was just a shepherd boy. He was picked on by his older brothers. And he ended up, shepherding, doing the lowest job in the family. And as he wrote these words, he illustrated shepherding because that's how he understood his relationship to God. Centuries later, when Jesus comes on the scene, multiple times he said things like this, I am the good shepherd. He used the illustration of shepherding. And it was more than just because that's what they understood in the day. There's a lot more to it. Because here's the thing with sheep. Sheep are not pack animals. No one in the history of moving things from one village to another has ever said, bring the sheep. I got to load up some stuff to carry to the other, the other village. Didn't do that. They're not pack animals. They would say, bring the ox, bring the, uh, uh, the mule. Like, I'm gonna, I need something built to move things. Kind of in our modern day times, no one says, who do I know that has a Prius? Because I got to move. No one says that. We go, who's got the biggest truck that I can find that I can shove every, if you're a guy, it's like, who's got the biggest truck that I can get everything in my home into this one truck for one trip so I don't have to do any more than that. Like, that's our thing. Like, how much can we pack in there so we, and then brag about it later? I did it in one trip, man. I got a couch, I got a TV, I got everything in there. Packed up to all the kids' rooms. 
Kid was hanging out on top, holding it down. They were linked arms all the way down, just holding on in one side. Like, that's how, that's how we do it. Like, we look for the thing that is built to move stuff, right? Sheep are not built for that. Sheep are not designed. You ever seen a sheep other than in a picture? They look a little weird. They're top-heavy. They got tiny legs. They don't move fast. They're just a big ball of fur. They get wet, and then they're, like, super skinny. No one, no one moves things. But here's the, here's the thing. There's, there's a reason why Jesus, there's a deeper reason Jesus used this in this illustration of sheep. Because we, a lot of times, are as dumb as sheep. But we also try really hard as sheep to be pack animals. Because here's what we do. All the stresses, all the burdens, all the struggle that we that we have in life, all the pain of life, we try to carry that ourselves. In Jesus' illustration of I am the good shepherd, what he says to us is you, you're not built for that. You weren't created in a way that you were made to carry burdens. You were designed to be like sheep, to follow the shepherd who carries the burdens for you. To follow the shepherd who takes you to the place to eat, to drink, that leads you to life, that leads you to the next place. You know what sheep do? They make really good clothes because they give their wool. They would be used for milk, to make cheese, to feed And much like sheep, our role in life is to follow the shepherd and to give warmth that we have to others. See, this passage is full of hope. It's not about death and all those things. Uh, Hope is an interesting word to us, though. We talk about hope all the time. Like, I hope something happens. I hope this goes the way I want it to go. But it's not a strategy in life. It's a little different. In fact, the definition of hope is this. There's a couple different ones, but in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it says to expect with confidence. See, this passage gives us confidence to expect the shepherd to take care of his sheep. Interestingly about sheep as well is they were very attuned to their shepherd's voice. A lot of times sheep would gather or shepherds would bring their flocks to the same uh, place to drink water. And they would all be intermingled and drinking water. And that shepherd, when it was time to leave, he would call his sheep. And the sheep that knew, that belonged to him, knew his voice and would, would follow him. The ones that weren't his sheep didn't follow him because they didn't, that wasn't the voice they knew. And all these sheep did is they followed where he led and depended and relied on him to protect them, feed them, and lead them. So David as a shepherd, pins these words because he understood that relationship. Look what he says. The Lord's my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me, or some passages say, he makes me to lie down in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Here's the thing. Here's a big idea about hope that I want you to get is that hope is all about us relinquishing control. See, our problem, the reason that we try to carry our burdens all the time is because we 
have a God complex. We all want to be in control of everything in life. We want to be in control of our life. We want to be in control of other people's lives sometimes. We try to control situations. We want to be in control of everything. And we try to put ourselves in the place of God. And honestly, that's our, that's our history of humanity. You go all the way back to Genesis when God created man and woman. And the, the age-old story of the serpent tempting Eve. We always make it about the fruit. But that's not what it was about. It was about what the serpent told Eve that fruit represented. If you think about it, what happened? The serpent says to her, listen, the reason God doesn't want you to eat of that tree is because when you do, you'll become like him. You'll be a God like him. And he doesn't want you to be that. He wants to be God and be in control of you. And their temptation was, well, no, I want to be a God as well. And that began our journey as humanity, falling into the temptation of we need to be in control. We have to take care of things. And so what we do when we come to God, whatever that struggle, whatever that burden is, we might bring it to God and go, God, I need this to be taken care of. And then we kind of dance around it a little bit and pace around like, you're going to pick that up? God, I noticed you haven't picked that up yet. I'm waiting for you to fix that for me. Can you fix that? No, all right, I'll take it. I'll just do it. I'll take care of it myself. Then we try to pick it back up and carry it ourselves. All the while, God's going, no, that's not, what you're, that's not what I designed for you. What I designed for you was a life of peace and hope. But in order to have that, you've got to let go and allow me to lead you. All of those statements that David says there in these words, he lets me, he leads me, he renews me, he guides me. Even when I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they protect and comfort me. Now, when I was a kid, I didn't really understand that passage because I've read this my entire life. I didn't really understand that because all I knew of a rod and a staff was getting beat with it uh, when I did something wrong. Or not really a rod. They didn't beat me with a rod. A belt, but same thing. Um, until growing up in church, we used to have a missions conference every year. Anybody, anybody grow up in church and have, a, have an annual missions conference? All your missionaries come through or some missionaries come through? Anybody? A couple? One or two? All right. So here's what would happen. Every year you have this missions conference. All the missionaries that you supported around the world, you'd bring some of them in, have a big celebration. They show their slides. You fall asleep. They talk about what they're doing. That whole thing. So usually you have a different, you know, different set of uh, missionaries that came through every year. Well, the church I grew up in, they did the same thing, but with the exception of one. There was one guy that they always brought in every year. His name was C.W. Hoy. Already he sounds crazy because he was. I tried, I tried to find a photo so I could show you because just seeing his photo, you'd go, oh, yeah, that guy's nuts. Um, he looks crazy. Um, but he was brilliant at the same time. This is a guy that, uh, in his mid-50s, wakes up one day and says to his wife, you know what, God told me we we're going to go be missionaries to uh, these mountainous tribes of uh, Mexican Indians. So we're going to sell everything and go down there and do that. Now, normally, when you decide to become a missionary, there's a process you go through. You go through an organization, 
You get some training. You raise money. No, nah, not this guy. He just went, come on, babe. We're going to sell the house. We're going to sell everything. We're just going to go. Where are we going? I don't know. We'll find a mountainous tribe somewhere in Mexico. And that's what he did. He literally just did that. But CW, you don't, you don't, you don't speak Spanish. I know. We'll figure it out. That's what he did. This guy just goes down there and starts living in this tribe with his wife and becomes this missionary. So he, he would come every year and he would tell these crazy stories. And I'm not sure they were all true. Um, but, you know, I realized as I got older and I became a pastor, I went, oh, pastors don't tell true stories. They make them up. Um, so not all the time. Just, um, but he would tell these stories and they were just like these outlandish, crazy stories. And he's one of those guys that if he called you on the phone, you know, normally, especially prior to caller ID, somebody called you and you said, hello, they, and they told you who he was talking to, right? They'd say, hey, this is Jason. Hey, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. Not him. He'd be in like the middle of a story. So you'd answer the phone, hello. So there it was hanging off the side of this tree. And then John says to me, like, wait, who is this? CW, is that you? Yeah, yeah, listen, let me finish the story. Like, you didn't even start the story. I don't know what you're talking about. No point of reference, no context. But he would come and tell the story. And he was, like the, he was like the class clown when he would tell these stories. But he told this one story that I'm fairly certain is true. About in the 70s, uh, when he was in these tri- this one tribe, uh, something real big back then was this, this Jesus film that they, people would show, churches would show around the country. And so he had this, you know, the old school real, real projector, a screen, a sheet that he was hang up and play this film. And this one tribe that he was with, they said, listen, there's a tribe up on the top of this mountain that we need to show this film to. You need to, you need to go speak to them. He said, all right, let's go. So this, these Indians pack up, pack up this projector, all this stuff, and they take off up this mountain. And it's this like switchback trail, real narrow, very steep up this mountain to this tribe. And so they go up there, takes them most of the day, they get up there, night comes, got the generator, everything, they play this film, they have a church service out there. Everything's said and done, everything is packed up, C.W. realizes he's the only one on the mountain now. Because all the Indians, they did this all the time. So they packed up everything, threw it on their back, and they took off back down the trail. And it's the middle of the night, and he has no idea where to go. But he knows where the entrance to this trail is. So he finds his way to that entrance. And just, he's like, oh, I, gotta, I gotta figure my way down. So he starts going down this trail has no idea, he's scared to death, thinks he's going to die because he doesn't know where he's going, but he's feeling his way along. And he says, at one point I get to this, I, I start to take another step and I feel something pull on my shoulder. And it's like this stick, this staff kind of pulls on my shoulder and then taps me and pushes me on one of my shoulders. So I think, okay, maybe I'm supposed to go that direction. So I start, I turn, I start going that direction. All night, he slowly makes his way down this trail. And he gets to the bottom of the trail. Sun's coming up. And he turns around. He realizes one of these Indians from that tribe up top saw him trying to go down and followed him. And all the way down, when he was about to step off the edge of this trail and fall off this mountain, 
the guy just took his staff and pulled him back, told him which way to go, all the way down. And as a kid, the only story that I remember from this missionary was that story because it made me realize what this passage meant, that your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Because he said, what I realized is I, as I'm going down, the only comfort I had was in recognizing and knowing that something is there guiding me down a trail that I don't know where I'm going and essentially saving my life. The role of a sheep and a shepherd is essentially that. Because there's a lot of life, there's a lot of avenues in life. We don't know where we're going. We make a lot of bad decisions. We start going the wrong direction. We wander off from from the flock. And what does the shepherd do? He chases after us. He pulls us back when we're about to step over the edge. He pushes us in the direction that we should go. We don't always go the direction we should go but he still pursues us because look what it says a few minutes later. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. The shepherd, God, Jesus is always pursuing you and I. And we learn to relinquish control and allow him to be our shepherd. You know what all we gotta do? is graze in the field that he leads us to. To follow his voice. When his staff guides us, to find comfort in that. But here's the other thing about hope. When we talk about hope, we always talk about hope in futuristic terms, right? We talk about one day, I hope this happens. I hope things work out this way. But really, hope is not about the future. It's partly about that. But hope is more about right now and our present circumstance. And David even describes that. Look at this statement. After he says, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. I love this part because it's so fascinating, interesting to me. Anybody ever seen, you've seen a war movie, you've seen like a, you know, a historic ancient war movie, you know, you have these two battles or this battle in this field and a lot of swords and arrows going around and all that kind of stuff. When does the celebration typically happen? Nobody knows. Okay. None of you have obviously fought in a war with swords. Um, no. It, when the celebration usually happens after, right? When everything is said and done. You ever notice when we celebrate things, there's always food involved. It's always a meal. Like celebrate a birthday, celebrate something. Like it's always a meal. Something about our humanity that we do that. But in a, in a war, in a battle situation... Celebration happens when it's all said and done. Whoever won, they celebrate. It's a feast. Some cultures, they would do it for days. But check this out. In the presence of my enemies, you prepare a feast for me. Here's what David says. In the middle of my struggle, in the middle of my pain, in the middle of the thing that I am dying about in life, I can celebrate because you, the shepherd, have already won that battle for me. I can have hope in the most hopeless of situations because you are bigger 
than that struggle. See, in a shepherding world, when they would graze, they were just out in the open. Wolves could attack, a bear could attack, the lions could attack, whatever, whatever was around that would want to feast on that sheep. But the sheep didn't have to worry about it. They weren't constantly on watch and stressed out of whether they were going to eat him because the shepherd was there protecting them. In the presence of my enemy, here's the thing. My buddy Mark, I talked about in this passage, there was so much about what we talked about with him. During his cancer, uh, they would refer to him as Captain Courageous. Somebody made this like superhero figure of him and that was his mantra, Captain Courageous. And he would say, I can be courageous in the face of, the face of death because I know God, God's already defeated death. Whether I die physically or whether I make it through this, I can be courageous because death does not ultimately defeat me. God has already defeated that. So picture yourself in the struggle, the pain that you have, feasting and celebrating because God has given you hope right now in the middle of that struggle. Here's the thing. The world around us needs us to find hope again. I think the world that we live in, we see a lot of stuff in the news. We see a lot of stuff politically. Having a great time with that right now. Um, Politically, we're all over the place. And I think what the world needs from us, those of us that claim to be Christ followers, those of us that have a faith, what the world needs from us is not the same stress and unnerving and we don't know what's gonna happen. What the world needs from us is hope and the recognition that our God is bigger than all of that stuff. And we can have peace and hope in the middle of the pain of life. I'm a big superhero fan. So um, I like to show photos or video clips from superhero movies because I think they're the best movies ever made. Don't argue with me. Uh, there's a great scene in one of the, one of the most recent X-Men movies where, I'm gonna get real nerdy, Professor X, if you know who that is, is kind of the leader of the X-Men, is struggling, his life is falling apart, he sees, no, he sees no hope, he sees no future. And he ends up having a conversation with his future self, old Professor X. And he has this conversation with future self who says, yeah, you can, it's gonna be okay. And the dialogue in the scene is, is amazing. It's so spot on to me about, I think, where we should be how we should approach life and what this passage ultimately is saying to us. Pass me. No, I don't want your suffering. I don't want your future. Look past my future. Look for your future. That's it. That's it.
Charles. Charles. So this is what becomes of us. Eric was right. Humanity does this to us. Not if we show them a better path. You still believe? Just because someone stumbles, loses their way, it doesn't mean they're lost forever. Sometimes we all need a little help. Oh, I'm not the man I was. I open my mind, and it almost overwhelms me. You're afraid, and Cerebro knows it. All those voices. So much pain. It's not that pain you're afraid of. It's yours, Charles. And as frightening as it may be, that pain will make you stronger. If you allow yourself to feel it, embrace it, it will make you more powerful than you ever imagined. It's the greatest gift we have to bear their pain without breaking. And it's born from the most human power. Hope. Please, Charles, we need you to hope again. We get real afraid of our pain and our struggle. And I think what God says to us is, you don't need to be afraid of it because I'm in control. I am the good shepherd. And a good shepherd always protects. A good shepherd always leads you through. A good shepherd, even in the valley of death, facing death's door, facing the biggest struggle in life, the biggest pain of life. A good shepherd is there with you and prepares a feast for you in the presence of that struggle. And all you have to do is trust me. And I think what the world needs from us I think what we need from each other is to not try to carry that burden but to lay ours down and then help another bring theirs to the good shepherd as well. He finishes out by saying, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. says, even though I walk through this valley, I will not be afraid, for you are with me. One author said this about this passage. God makes his saints to lie down. He gives them quiet and contentment in their own minds, whatever their lot is. Their souls dwell at ease in him. And that makes every pasture green. 
No matter the situation, that pasture is a green pasture, a green meadow for you and me because when we relinquish control and allow God to be in control and allow him to shepherd us, in the presence of our enemy, in the presence of our struggle, that pasture is green. Peace is there. Hope is there. I believe he wants to deal some hope to you today and I believe he wants you and I to be hope dealers to the world as well. So wherever you're at, whatever you faced before you walked in these doors, maybe you're like me and I'm still working through this with my anger towards God and my feeling towards God. And here's the thing that I've learned, that God is big enough to take that. God is big enough to understand and to take our anger and the things that we say, the hurtful things that we say back to him. In the same way that as a parent, you're big enough that when your kid gets mad at you and they say mean and hurtful things, you're big enough to understand that I know you don't get it right now. One day you'll understand, but this is for your own good. God does not get angry in return at us. What God does is he pursues us and brings us back to the fold and continues to guide us and protect us, provide green pastures for us. Maybe you're like me. You're still struggling through that with God right now. My encouragement to you is to just let go of control. Recognize that he is the good shepherd. And for the next few moments when we take communion, I want to encourage you to maybe do some business with God. Because communion is all about that recognition as well. Communion is about recognizing that we're broken. We don't have control. We are not God. But God made a way, created a bridge for us to come back to him, provides hope for us, guides us along. And it's a recognition fully of, I can't save myself. You have saved me. You can save me. And you've done that for me. And you continue to provide hope in my struggle and brokenness. So as we take communion for the next few minutes, do some business with God. Put your burden down and leave it there. And follow him as your sheep to his shepherd. Let's pray. Hey God, thanks for incredible passages like Psalm 23. Passages that we probably have read a hundred times, heard so often, that it sometimes becomes old hat to us. But thank you for the fresh truth that is always there in the midst of that. Thank you for being a good shepherd to us. Thank you for allowing us, even when we wander off and we almost step off the edge and sometimes do step off the edge, you catch us, you bring us back scars and all and that you continue that in the midst of our struggle the midst of our pain the midst of the thing that we don't understand that is too big and overwhelming for us that you are bigger than that thing and you are not overwhelmed help us to hold fast to that truth help us to recognize it to let go of our pain and struggle and to feast at the table in the presence of that struggle.
Thank you for people like Mark and C.W. Hoy with lives that they lived and modeled and stories that they told to make that truth real for us today. We love you. In our own frail way, thank you for loving us unconditionally despite our human, frail love, fickle love for you and for others. Help us to be better and stronger and a better model of you to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.